Welcome to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast and your week in IndyCar listener Q&A show. It is 4.01 p.m. on a Tuesday. Beautiful, sunny here in California, Northern California. Got our cat Rosie sleeping on my right. I believe our cat Rocky is in with my wife. Uh, so things are kind of normal, finally. A little bit of delay getting home from Road America. Ended up getting in, what, late uh, Monday morning, early afternoon, instead of Sunday night, but no big deal. I actually really enjoyed the drive into and through Chicago, uh, switching airports, getting out of Chicago midway. So, yeah, wasn't the worst thing in the world. Um, coming out of Road America, I it is just, <laughs> I stumble for words, because it is just filling of one's soul if your soul was the least bit empty if you needed just a little top up or if it's been running dry head to road america for any motor race in particular the big motor races you're going to find some of the most passionate fans anywhere some of the kindest warmest happiest folks as well and i say that having been to Dozens upon dozens of racetracks. Been fortunate to travel to Brazil, Japan, Australia, all over Europe. Just right, all motor racing, going to a bunch of tracks. And there's a ton that are amazing. Bathurst, for example. Ugh, some of the happiest, drunkest people you're ever going to find. But just saying, I don't know how many tracks I've been to here in North America, but it's a heck of a bunch. And there are many that are fine, and many have amazing people at them. I just happen to feel, and I, I mean it in terms of feeling people's presence, not an emotional feel, but just the reception of warmth and kindness and love and passion for the sport from folks at Road America, almost unlike I come across anywhere else. The cool part is not everybody is from Wisconsin, a lot of folks that drive in from the surrounding states to be there for the IndyCar race or the IMSA race or NASCAR, or whatever. And it's just awesome. So just sharing this because the energy that you either can fill up on or that wave of energy you can ride out of Road America, it truly is. It's unlike any other place that I visit. So loved being back. First time there since 2018. And I kind of sort of wish every race was there because it'd be amazing. And looking at the news, it just came down the pipeline here half hour ago or so from NBC that they ended up putting together a really good uh, rating for the event. Um, that makes me even happier. What did they say it had? 1.11 uh, million uh, for their TAD total audience delivery. Uh, so that is obviously the good old television on NBC plus streaming, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so yeah, good to see strong numbers. They're also reporting, uh, this is the best audience that they have put together so far, best viewership numbers since 2017 and said that they're up about 5% uh, over last year's comparable coverage. So, Hey, 5%, that's not a bad thing by any means. And I also love the general notion that things are looking pretty darn good uh, historically dating back uh, at least five years ago. So there you go. Uh, we have a whole heck of a bunch of questions, y'all. Like a lot, a lot, a lot. Uh, let me see how many our man, our new pal, 
Jerry Robert Siddhuth has put together for us uh, this week. He said there were, okay, y'all, 2,983 words worth of questions. So we are certainly not going to get to all of them. Uh, this might require a little bit of overtime, but in general, I aim for going for about an hour. And so why don't we uh, do a little bit of music bed? Nobody really mentioned that I change up the music bed to go away from the surf rock to something a little different. So I don't know if just nobody cares. I'm the only one, but if so, it felt like changing it. So a uh, little bit of music bed here. And uh, let's see. I think we're going to kick off with Eric Franklin. Eric Franklin, for sure, in our little show brought to us by Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers in TorontoMotorsports.com. He says, Will Power, he's overreacting, right? I get that he got punted from behind by Devlin DeFrancesco, but threatening the guy on the radio? I thought we were getting a new and calmer Will Power. Well, I mean, let's not be crazy, Eric Franklin. We're getting a new willpower in terms of season-long context. We haven't had this guy locked into this place for quite some time. So we're it's an old version. It's a new version of the guy we haven't seen for a while. Willpower getting super grumpy? Uh, I mean, that's not going to stop. That's been who he is. Uh, I was speaking with our pal Alex Polo here about an hour ago, and he mentioned power like flipping him the bird and barking at him at detroit uh because alex did his best to get out of the way but uh was just not having a very good time and wasn't making a lot of speed etc etc and will felt that he blocked him and and uh or impeded his lap limited his potential and alex said like truly i'm just trying to be as invisible as i can but I can't just disappear. So there was no intent to do anything bad to Will. He got out of the car and was all flipping birds and angry and everything else. And he's like, brother, we're like, really? You know, anyways, he said, Will uh, came by 20 minutes later, whatever it was. Like, sorry, man. It was just kind of lost in the emotions for a minute. So lost in the emotions for a minute, AKA the full length of the race after that happened. And then afterwards for a little bit, not totally uncommon for Will. I don't expect that to ever go away, uh, Eric. But it's the returning to a better, happier, more centered place afterward. I think that's the newish Will power that we should see here in, what, about two weeks at Mid-Ohio. Is he going to retaliate against the kid? He's not. Uh, I, <laughs> I mean, I could, but uh, I'm not going to share... The first quote that Will gave me uh, right after the race, or the second one. And I, after he gave me the first one, uh, I asked him to give me another one that was maybe less uh, inflammatory. And, oh, no. Um, yeah, it, it got even way, way spicier. And I guess in theory, those are the kind of quotes that you're supposed to live for. And, boy, you could put them up and whatever. And I don't know. <coughs> Uh, doing damage to the guy and, and whatever, like, yeah, I don't know. doesn't seem like uh, anything of, of value here. So anyways, I'll leave those quotes uh, on my computer, but let's just say that he was wildly mad and I think it took him about an hour or two to finally cool down. Um, and once he did, uh, he's fine. There, There's not going to be any 
attempts to do anything negative towards Devlin. But also, and I just say this from a, if you know NASCAR, like the, I'm going to run this guy over and murder him and I'm going to do everything in the world that's mean and I'm going to blow him up and then shoot him and then, right? Like you hear that stuff, I'm exaggerating, but it feels like 20 times a race in whatever your cup race is for the weekend. Power being the one guy during an IndyCar race to say that uh, about another guy. All right, maybe Polo kind of did a little bit, but uh, yeah, a pillow fight is how I would put it, Eric, compared to some of the other stuff you and I and others have probably seen and heard in terms of uh, retribution and threats. So, uh, but I think Powers can be just fine. Uh, Jason Hatfield, how you doing, Jason? Has there ever been a precedent of a driver being parked? And how bad truly was what Devlin did? His power was certainly moving lanes. Um, yeah, I didn't really see that as a byproduct of Will moving lanes. Uh, it looked like Dev- Devlin was mad, and it looked like Devlin was being hyper-aggressive to get past power and just misjudged his braking. Um as for being parked, I am drawing a big old brain fart here, Jason, so I apologize. But yeah, I do recall, uh, it feels like in the last five, six, seven years, there was one driver who might have been parked for a race. And I apologize that I'm forgetting who it is, but uh, I think, yeah, it, it's not, <laughs> it is not a common thing for sure. But yeah, it, it has happened before. Uh, our pal Ryan Terpstra, how you doing, Ryan? Says, can we get the uh, the telestrator out, draw trajectory lines, and dissect the Ericsson and Polo incident? Says the broadcast booth and Ericsson both seem to think it wasn't a big deal, uh, despite the obvious big consequences for Alex. He says, did Ericsson kick right off the curb or understeer um, to a point that we just couldn't see? I don't know if he got onto the curb or not, but I can tell you that I did speak with Alex, as I mentioned, and this podcast might go up before I get the story written, but uh, he said, my bad. Not his bad in terms of how or why the contact took place, but just his reaction. It was a very human reaction. Uh, He hadn't had time yet to calm down, and that's really the first time we've seen that side of him. I would say the, uh, hey, two can play that game, and um, yeah, he just said, you know, my bad. He said he felt embarrassed by the way that he reacted and also mentioned that Marcus called him on Monday to discuss and said they cleared the air and everything is fine. But the underlying point was uh, having seen the replays uh, and whatnot uh, and also understood Marcus and what he was trying to do. He said, yeah, there's nothing wrong there. Marcus did nothing wrong. Uh, Obviously wished there was no contact, but um, nothing negative or critical being held about Erickson from Polo. So I don't really think there was a fault here, Ryan. This looked like the kind of thing that has happened in that corner a million times. And the unfortunate thing was this contact, to the surprise of myself and many others, uh, led to damage to Alex's car that screwed his day. Normally, we see that same exact thing happen, and both drivers continue without any real hiccup. So, yeah, 
nothing burger. Absolute nothing burger here. Andy Bauer, you're asking if Alex has calmed down. Um, yeah, he was super calm, super, super calm when I spoke. Like I said, felt a little eh, not comfortable with how he reacted. But again, I just tried to remind him, like, look, you know, we don't really see the side from you ever. And so don't be too embarrassed. This is just you feeling how you felt. Given a little bit of time, you decided, you know what? I'm not happy with how I responded, and I appreciate that. There are a number of folks, number of drivers, Andy, who would not walk anything back, would not say, nope, my bad, totally took that, saw that, reacted in the wrong way. So <sighs> I appreciate that about uh, our finest member of the Day group, by the way. Uh, also, lucky that I'm... Thankful that I'm remembering now, because I usually don't remember until the end of the show. If you want to join the listener group here, made up of many, many, I think it's more than 100 now, fine folks uh, who've just come together on their own to join as folks who maybe first came together through listening to the podcast, but now have a, a pretty cool discussion group that takes place seemingly all day, every day. A lot of bench racing, talking about life, the universe, and everything uh, that is the Prue Day. Uh, their name modeled after my favorite WWE tag team, which is sadly no more, the New Day. Uh, but if you want to join, if you want to have a new racing family to join into and bench race and have fun, and Lord knows what all they get into. I'm not a member. I don't see it. I'm not supposed to. Uh, send an email, Prue Day Rocks, P-R-U-E-D-A-Y-R-O-C-K-S, Rocks at gmail.com. And one of the fine people there will uh, welcome you in and add you to the group. So there you go. Uh, you also mention or say here, Andy, will I be at Iowa? And indeed I will. Barring unforeseen changes, I'm going to miss the next two. So no mid-Ohio, no Toronto. Uh, Mrs. Pruitt has a uh, half-century birthday. Uh, in and around the mid-Ohio weekend. So we are going to go on a vacation to a place that she wants to go. And so, yeah, uh, going to miss mid-Ohio. I don't even know if I will watch mid-Ohio uh, until we get back. And then Toronto, I don't have a passport, and I need to get a passport. So a little bit of a failure for me there. But, yes, uh, the doubleheader in good old Iowa uh, in July. That's going to be my next IndyCar race on the ground. And I think from there, maybe with the exception of one, I think it's Gateway. I think there's a conflict that weekend with the annual Monterey Motorsports Rolex Reunion uh, vintage event. I cover that every year uh, for Racer. And so I think that's the only other race I will miss in uh, the good old run to the end of the championship. Uh, why don't we go to Keith Lee? How you doing, Keith? This MP. How is Road America? It's terrible. It's the worst thing ever. Never going back. Uh, he says, did you put down some brats and cheese curds? Uh, I did not get on the good old brat train, but I did have some cheese curds. And yeah, I'd say they were the best I've ever had. They were from the track from a, a little boutique-ish place in Fond du Lac, and my tummy was smiling. Now, 
For those of you who've had cheese curds, you know that they taste amazing. Then you also know it's a bit like digesting cement. And at some point in time, yeah, you got to deal with that cement. But I'll leave that conversation. Uh, I'll leave that off right there. Uh, you say last weekend it was between Erickson and Dixon, where Erickson essentially called him out for screwing up his opportunity to get into the Fast Six. And Dixon referred to him as the eight car and wasn't apologetic about any wrongdoing. Now it's between Plo and Erickson. Sorry, you're referring about Detroit there. Because now it's between Plo and Erickson, where Plo thought Erickson's right rear uh, hit his left front wheel. How did you see the incident? Already covered that off, but uh, I did want to uh, read the rest of this, though. You said, also, I didn't see Dixon or Plo giving much uh, creds or congrats to Erickson for his Indy 500 victory. Do I sense some inter-team jealousy? And yeah, I'd like to see Polo try to, quote, play that game as well with a teammate in car. Says, I'm sure Chip would be thrilled with that. Um, yeah, there, there's nothing there that I know of uh, that's negative. Already covered off the uh, Erickson and Polo side. They're perfectly fine. Uh, I don't think it's totally uncommon for uh, Dixie to refer to car numbers and such. But yeah, in speaking with him, uh before, during, after, you name it. To my knowledge, everything's good between uh, Dixie and Marcus. So I don't think there's really anything there. I will mention, though, Scott is bristling a little bit this season. Um, things have not exactly gone the way he had hoped. Sitting there in sixth in the championship, not terrible, but... <sighs> No wins so far. Uh, I know what he has one podium, but it just has not been the super awesome, amazing uh, season he had hoped for. And so keep in mind that anything that isn't exactly complimentary is probably going to strike him in a slightly negative or frustrated way. Indy 500 was a huge, huge blow to him. Uh, that, that was not good. So I do just for his sake, I do hope that we see either another podium here soon, uh, even better a win just to kind of jump him back into the title conversation. He's not a crazy amount out of the, uh, of the title hunt by any means, but starting to get to that stage though, where, fourth fifth sixth seventh eighth yeah unless you've got a big old lead to uh to pad things starting to move into that phase of the season where anything other than podiums you are probably starting to lose a little bit of sight of really truly vying for a championship unless remarkable things happen so I think there might be a little something in there that maybe colors a little bit of uh dixie's views or comments keith um i don't know if we have maybe somewhere in here we will have some questions about some of the uh, silly season rumors and whatnot but um yeah that's maybe also part of things just a little bit uh let's see where should we go next why don't we go to ed jor says if rossi would have beaten Newgarden out of the pits at that first stop. Do you think Rossi would have won the race? I do not. Of course, this is the thing that you could never 
really answer with definitive anything because we're talking hypotheticals, but Rossi clearly had a modest advantage over Newgarden opening the race on Firestone's faster alternate tires. When they switched on to the primaries, Joseph had a sizable advantage. I know that throughout the rest of the race, because I believe they went uh, uh, alternate, primary, 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 um, saw Alex draw the lead down to two seconds or so, I think, at one point in time. But for the most part, it looked like Newgarden was controlling the pace controlling the gap and able to respond if he needed to and draw away. So yeah, without a doubt, uh, that slower first pit stop, um, clearly didn't help Rossi, but even if he came away with the lead, I do think Joseph would have chased him down and yeah, just looked like Alex lacked a little bit of pace on primaries that affected the rest of the runs for him. Um, you also asked it. I think that McLaughlin pulling into his pits just as Rossi was about to pull out of his, uh, was this carefully orchestrated. I don't know how you carefully orchestrate that. Um, I mean, think about all the things that would have to happen there, right? So Scott's pace, he would have to drive at a certain pace to hit the, uh, entry to pit lane at the exact perfect time, then sit on the speed limiter for, five, 10 seconds, however long it takes to get to his pit stall. And at that controlled speed, he could not increase uh, to catch up if it looked like Rossi was going to get out sooner, nor could he afford to slow down if it looked like he was going to get there too fast without hurting himself and hurting his own race. How would you do all of those things to perfectly orchestrate to come in just in front of Rossi before he's about to come out? Um, yeah, uh, I'd like to think that you can control a lot of things in racing. This is on some don't make no sense type stuff, my friend. Um, Horatio Frey, you say, did the silly season start really early this year? Are there more moves to come or are we done? Uh, yes, it did start early. Uh, if you've read my first silly season installation in... February, I think, um, you would know that I think I opened it by saying this is the earliest we've ever started the good old silly season. So, oh yeah, lots more to come. Uh, who's going to be in the number seven car, the Air McLaren SP number seven Chevy. Uh, that's certainly a big question. Uh, I know that leaving road America with some of the rumors in recent weeks of who they are going after, supposedly going after, what they might be offering folks if they were to come there, all those things and how, from what I understand and have said, Alex Pillow is signed through 2024. And as I was told by someone who knows without a shadow of a doubt, as my weekend sports cars, co-host Graham Goodwin likes to say that Scott Dixon is under contract through 2023 would make uh, the ongoing efforts to take more drivers from Ganassi to replace someone they got from Ganassi and Felix Rosenquist uh, somewhat of a challenge in the short term. Um, 
could something still happen that we wouldn't expect uh, for the number seven car Felix currently drives? Of course. That's why it's silly. <laughs> uh, do I think Felix will, do I think the odds of Felix staying in that car next year on a one-year contract, knowing that some of the folks that uh, the McLaren side really want are not available until the 2023 season is over. I would not be surprised at all if we were to learn uh, they opted to hold on to Felix for one more year. The guy has been driving his little behind off lately, like seriously driving uh, like a man possessed. And it has been beautiful to see and has also had some pretty impressive uh, effects on the championship. Felix is now P8. I mean, his teammate Pato Award is P4, which is great. Keep in mind, uh, without winning a race this year, uh, and hell, without even a podium this year, Felix has shot to P8. Who's behind him? I don't know. Scott McLaughlin, Simon Pagano, Colton Herta, Romain Grosjean, right? Uh, some heavyweights. Who's in front of him? By 15 points, uh, another guy who's been really streaking lately, Alexander Rossi. Uh, he's 21 points, 21 points behind Scott Dixon. So, you know, championship, little bit of of a remote thing for Felix. He certainly can go on a tear and get up there and vie for it, no doubt. But regardless, uh, if you look at what this guy has done since May. His results are 6th, 4th, 10th, and 6th. That's that's something to work with, uh, without a doubt. So, would just say that always have that caveat that, sure, they could hire someone else, but I'd say Felix is really making his case right now, knowing of some of the, inabil- or the lack of availability uh, for a couple of the Ganassi drivers they're interested in. Felix seems like he might be the perfect guy to hold on to, especially in light of his recent form. But do I think they'd hold on to him long, long term? Probably not. Uh, That's just not the team's character right now. There's uh, a bit of a a star bleeper personality uh, that's been on display. And so they like high-profile, shiny toys. I don't know if Felix would ever fit that category, but uh, he could be their best option to hold on to for next year. Uh, and if not, as I mentioned a couple weeks ago in the show here, uh, if they decide to not hold on to him for IndyCar, I think he'd be a shoe-in to uh, to be one of their Formula E drivers when they make their debut next season. Uh, let's see, what else do we have here, Horatio? Obviously, the uh, the fourteen number 14 Foyt Chevy that Kyle Kirkwood will be vacating here at the end of the season. That is something we'll be watching for sure. We know there's a need there. Rumored uh, possibility of Meyershank Racing dropping a new driver into the 06 car that Elio Castroneves currently drives, so that's something to watch. Wrote that Hunkos Hollinger Racing, although they don't want to talk about it and want to deny it, uh, they are indeed looking to go to two cars. I know this because these are the things I hear from folks who've been contacted about that and going to work for them to do that. Um... What else? What else? I don't think we're going to see any change on the uh, coin side with both drivers. That would be awesome. 
um, holding on to the same drivers for the first time in a little while. Carpenter Racing, uh, I know from some of the drivers they are speaking with, they are preparing for Renus VK to possibly leave. Uh, so who would or could backfill the 21 Chevy there? Does that mean Renus is headed to Shank? Um, if Aero McLaren SP holds on to Felix, there'd be no home for Renus next year. Also think that timing-wise, with some of the other moves that could be available, some of the other seats that could be available, whatever Renus does, uh, he might be really smart to sign a one-year deal, whether it's staying with Ed or going somewhere else, because uh, I do think there could be some Ganassi, Penske-type openings uh, that might need to be filled for 2024. And what else? Uh, I don't see any changes happening at Ray Hall Adam and Lanigan anytime soon. I know that there are a number of drivers that dream of Team Penske going back to four cars, but keep in mind they downsized to three, believing that running four, they were not efficient enough. And boy, that move sure looks like the uh, smartest thing anyone's done during the offseason because they are kicking butt in taking names. And after that, uh, yeah, again, Ganassi, you know, we'll see if Jimmy Johnson decides to continue in the number 48 car if he does not i know that the team absolutely wants to keep running it funding dependent of course uh could arenas be a perfect fit for that uh could some others be a perfect fit of course um i don't believe there's any changes planned with andretti Everyone there is either on multi-years or uh, at minimum going to be in the car through 2023. So uh, that's what I know. That is what I know, Horatio. Uh, let's see. Rob Ball, how you doing, Rob? It's MP, RLL's weekend, three finishers in the top 13. Was that a flash in the pan? Or do you think we'll see a repeat performance in their home race at Mid-Ohio? Oh, <sighs> Great to see uh, the team come out of a brutal month of May and Detroit and just have something that didn't sting. Like, I was really happy to see that. It was great to see Graham on pit lane after the race. He wasn't exactly ear-to-ear -ear smiling, but he was definitely in a happier place, and he's been leading the team home in P8. You'd have to think just the car's being in the natural air that uh, sustained RLL for so many years when they were based in Ohio. i got to believe there's going to be something good there. The majority of the things that they need to be quick, though, involve damping. And, I mean, certainly a strong uh, overall engineering package for all the cars. It's a lot to ask at Mid-Ohio. I mean, Mid-Ohio absolutely, absolutely demands many, 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 many things of a race car to do properly in order for its driver to succeed. It's another way of saying, knowing their struggles uh, that have happened this year quite often, I'd say it's, it's a true 50 50 thing. If they have found something that can 
cure some of the issues. Definitely look forward to them doing well. The flip side, I think it could be an absolute nightmare. I don't, can't really don't have a, a thought right now as to which direction it would go, but I just don't feel like there's a whole lot of a middle ground. Uh, I think they're either going to be absolutely amazing or absolutely terrible. And at the moment, I couldn't tell you uh, which direction I think they're going to end up. Where do we go next? Uh, Dave Evans, heard anything about the track reviewing the curbing at turn five? Uh, seems like that should be adjusted prior to next year's GP event to prevent what happened to Christian Bogle and Lindsey Brewer from recurring. I haven't, Dave, but it is on my list of things to inquire about, and uh, I appreciate you asking. So hopefully I will have uh, a little something to, uh, to bring back here, I don't know, next week's episode or something like that. I also have uh, Texas and asking them about uh, repave on my list of things to do. So uh, information to follow. Mike DiCardo. Uh, he says, great to meet up with you. Uh, totally agree, Mike. It was mighty fine to meet you there. He says, uh, hard to plan for no yellows at the race or in the race. But if that were the case, uh, yeah, the race would have been 90 minutes or less. So no TV windows and all that uh, and whatnot. But he says 60 laps instead of 55 seem warranted. Discuss. Yeah, I hear you, Mike. Um, I mean, I, I've had someone else mention, you know, we should push it out to, uh, dang near three hours of racing and look i'd love to see all of it let's make it a six hour right <laughs> let's just have all the tire and fuels we want and, uh, i think that would be a real uh uh a real uh iron forging type event who would survive um i don't think anybody would but yeah i don't know man um I did not see anything at that race that led me to believe we needed more laps for more stuff to happen. Seemed like there were tons of restarts, lots of drama, drivers knocking into each other and getting mad, teammates being mad at teammates, uh, pit stop drama. Tatiana Calderon set the record at least within the last eight years for the most penalties, four penalties in a single race. Um, Joseph Newgarden was on a mission. That guy was never going to be stopped. Knowing how good he and the team were last year, only to uh, be knocked out by a transmission issue in the final restart. I mean, again, uh, could have raced for another 10 hours. I don't think anything was going to change. So at least from this end, Mike, I was good. I uh, felt like we got everything, uh, everything we could have hoped for out of the race. So all kinds of fun. Uh, Dave Heisen, say any uh, energy recovery updates you can give us tech hungry folks uh read your article today about the delay is that uh bigger than a bread box um i would say this is also a bit of a nothing burger dave the main thing i understand is the super capacitor is something that just recently showed up and so as i can know what i can know uh they the chevy and folks at honda have had the primary um molly component the uh the actual mechanical bit that lives in the bell housing and does the uh the the regeneration and the deployment and all that 
that has been in place. The actual super capacitor. That's a word I was about to use. And I guess just did. Cause I went through with it. The super capacitor, uh, very complex, very rare. Uh, the super capacitors just recently showed up. So the part that actually holds on to the electric ponies and then returns the electric ponies that, as I understand, Dave is the basically the last major component to be delivered and both manufacturers wanted more time to learn, play with, etc. instead of going out and hitting the track, I guess you could say prematurely having not had enough time with the full system to learn it uh, inside and out on the dyno. And so it's the same kind of call I would make. If we were going to the hybrid motors next year, maybe you'd be a little worried about losing a couple of weeks. But since it's not until 2024, this call makes 1,000%. Spend more time, all the time you need, uh, in a controlled dyno environment and bring the toys out when you feel you're fully ready and have worked through some kinks or at least have uh, whatever degree of subject matter expertise uh, you'd want to have. So, yeah, I would say uh, all good here. Cody Oakwood says, Hey, MP, since we're essentially at the midpoint in the season, could you go team by team and give out your midterm grades? Each team as a whole, not individual drivers. You also say best you and your lovely bride, my friend. Uh, Cody, you are one of a couple of people. I don't want to say a lot, but a couple of people who have asked uh, me to do that. And here Tuesday late in the afternoon, uh, I've yet to have that conversation with my friends at Racer. So since the uh, mid-season report cards, the midterm grades, since that was Robin Miller's thing, um, I've had some people ask me to do that and continue doing that. I am not willing to unless the folks at Racer uh, want me to or are in agreement. So I'm waiting to have that discussion with them to see what they think. And if they say, no, we're this is Robbins, uh, you should not do it, just pretty much my feeling on the topic, I absolutely won't. Um, don't mean to get too serious on you here, but I am always conscious of the lanes that Robin established for himself and really and truly do not want to stray into them uh, unless the mailbag, for example, that was something where I said no uh, and said no for a really long time and ultimately changed my mind. Some of you might remember me mentioning maybe last October when I got back from uh, the memorial at IMS. Um, the thing that changed my mind was the amount of people saying, it's really strange waking up on Wednesdays and not having the mailbag. Um, we'd really like to have the mailbag. And that was such a common comment um, I changed my mind after telling racer for three to four months, um, that no, uh, I, I just would not, don't even want to consider doing that. So 
I'll have to see what their thoughts are on this. Like I said, it, there's by no means an overwhelming amount of folks like yourself, Cody, saying, please, Pruitt, do it. It's not it. But this was one of Robin's signature things. Uh, so I need to get some coaching and advisement from uh, the good folks at Racer. The last little thing to mention here, um, it's also a really awkward place to be. Maybe that sounds stupid. Maybe that's not meant to be a complaint or a, oh, woe is me kind of thing. Not at all. But Robin did a lot. Robin cast a big shadow. Uh, I worked within or under that shadow for a really long time. Always understanding and recognizing that uh, at best, the best I can be is the number two IndyCar reporter (laughs) on the planet. Um, at the same time, there's also the, I'm my own person. So, uh, while honoring Robin, paying tribute to him, raising charitable funds for him or in his name and many, many things are things that I do will always do, etc. Um, there's also the. How many things that were Robins do I want to do owing to the fact that he's not here? Um, how much do I want to do and keep doing and continuing the legacies that were his? How many others are doing that? I mean, if I'm honest, I don't mean about Robin. I just mean in general, right? So I feel like the mailbag's pretty big thing. That was his and no longer called anyone's name. It's just the racer mailbag. But so it's just a little existential question. I'm waiting to get some answers on here, Cody. And apologies if I took this a little bit deeper than expected. But um always want to honor Robin, but I'm also always cognizant of the fact that I don't want to be a Robin Miller tribute act. Uh, I don't want to just be doing the things that he did because folks like the things that he established. Those are amazing. They really are. Um, Also, at some point in time, I just need to be myself. And so if that means I do one thing that was Robin's being the mailbag, I'm fine with that. If it's two things and that's also the midterm grades, midterm report card, I'll wait and see uh, what Racer has to say about that. Uh, But again, at some point in time, Uh, I need to be me, not uh, someone who's living half of his life in tribute to someone else. Uh, Let's go to Lori Carter. All right, we're going to lighten this up a bit. Lori says, I meant to ask this a few weeks ago, but did you ever have your driven watch party at Indy with Colton? Did not. Um, If I hadn't gotten whatever that nasty flu or whatever it was that... uh, I think I picked up over qualifying weekend and started to feel the effects of um, soon after. Yeah, that kind of kicked my butt in the free time where this could have happened, Lori. Happened to be the time where, uh, I mean, I started feeling better around, I think, Thursday. I think Thursday was my first day back uh, at the track. But, yeah, I pretty much stayed in the hotel uh when i left early-ish on monday soon after that practice session was done and 
yeah, I think I stayed in Tuesday and Wednesday because uh, I didn't want to be around drivers, didn't want to get them, risk getting any of them sick. Um, so, yeah, uh, didn't happen, but I'm determined we're going to make this happen. So whether it's at Indy or I don't know, is there a, a gar- unused garage stall maybe at Laguna Seca we could use the season finale to, uh, to watch that? I don't know. Uh, so it's going to happen, Lori, for sure. Um, just not when uh, I might pass a flu onto a driver. Uh, let's see. JJ Gertler. I'm trying to look here. Are we getting close? Eh, we're not too far away from the end here. Uh, JJ Gertler, as I scroll back up. See, you say, so at a place like Road America, where the paddock extends up and down the hill, they're good places to shoot pretty much all around the four-mile circuit? Yes, absolutely, JJ. You said, how many miles do you put on your shoes on a race weekend? Uh, That I don't know. Here at Road America, that's definitely a golf cart event because of the large distances to cover and the need to cover them in a short amount of time. So uh, I don't know. I mean, I probably walk a couple miles a day just going around, but uh not too many because yeah golf cart's a friend there uh you also were wanting to know that my uh mileage per bratwurst i I failed on the bratwursts so zero is the answer unfortunately let's go to our pal matt philpot you doing matt say why is there so much secrecy with driver contracts uh most we seem to hear vague things like multi-year deal He's saying stick and ball sports, we know contract length, dollar amounts, etc. Can't help but feel like if we knew more about driver contracts, it could spice up the silly season. Well, so the royal we here, Matt, it's an interesting one. If we knew more about driver contracts, it could spice up the silly season. Um, we do know the contract numbers of quite a few drivers, but uh, I don't put a lot of those in print or mention them on the show because that isn't so much the culture here. I'm sure that there's a passion and desire to know more, but okay, why? A couple things. If we are talking football, basketball, etc., most all of the major sporting leagues have a central business where all of the teams are affiliates of uh, technical. There might be owners of the individual teams uh, in terms of the stadium and the rights and all those things, but there is a, a central business where, you know, for example, when Tom Brady gets his weekly paycheck or whatever the frequency is uh, that comes from the NFL. That doesn't come from the team itself. Um, they are all employees of the league. Uh, but obviously, you know, uh, anyways, that's a pretty common thing. So when we're talking about those sports, very much a centralized thing in many cases, they're really intricate rules in place of how much you can earn and what you can do here and how you can defray cost it there. And does this person have Larry bird rights or do they have this or what's the cap and how much can you spend? So there's a lot of well-known things 
and ceilings for salary in place. And so with that known and knowing what the salary cap might be for the year or the what number gets you into the luxury tax and all that, culturally, without a doubt, the major sports, the stick and ball sports, for example, uh, these things are fairly transparent. And you also have big uh, agents involved as well. And part of their worth and their ability to attract more clients is to be able to demonstrate, hey, I just got my player a new five-year, $80 million deal. Wow, it's amazing. Try and attract more business. We just don't have most of those things in racing. I think that's why, and I know this is an IndyCar show, so I'll stick with IndyCar, but uh, I think this is a pretty common thing across most forms of motor racing. Any idea how much Jordan Taylor is getting paid uh, to drive for Corvette? No clue. <laughs> None. Within the paddock, talk to some of his rivals and whatnot. They might have an idea. You have a clue as to what some others are making there, and you have to assume one person might be a little bit above, might be a little bit below, uh, whatever that number is. But, you know, there, there's not a lot of commonalities here. General Motors, as a large quadrillion dollar international company probably not going to talk contracts to let you know what they pay one of their employees <coughs> same with honda i mean they do have one or two drivers too i believe under contract in indycar yeah, it's not really something a major company like honda slash honda performance development is going to tell the average person um the biggest thing I would say, though, in the why, Matt, is probably the fact that unlike all the other sports where, again, there is one big central business that everything is connected into, all the teams are connected into, IndyCar is not that way. These are all independent business owners. Chip Ganassi Racing owns Chip Ganassi Racing 100% when he pays his drivers those drivers get paid by Chip Ganassi Racing. IndyCar is not the one cutting checks uh, to whomever. There's no salary cap. There's no. There's none of the other things. So I would just say that's probably the reason why. Nonetheless, <laughs> it is not uncommon to engage in conversations about this very thing with drivers, with team owners, uh, receiving calls. From team owners saying, hey, how much do you think so-and-so is getting paid? I don't know how often I get that call, Matt, but it's not infrequent. The amount of times I will call a team owner and say, hey, what do you think this person's value is at? Trying to judge what I might be hearing, what someone else is paying, or who they might be going after, right? Um, I think I've said... I think I might have written, I don't remember, uh, complimented Peter Rossi, Alexander Rossi's dad, for what sounds like a whale of an awesome contract for his son. Uh, have only heard from a lot of very smart people, some of them who are also very jealous, that Alexander might be earning the same amount as six-time IndyCar champion, one-time Indy 500 winner, Scott Dixon. 
I've heard that so many times from some really smart people that it leads me to believe it's either accurate or not too far from accurate. And that's amazing if it's accurate or even close to accurate. That's an amazing deal. I've also heard what some other drivers are earning. And wow, they deserve to be earning more. And wow, some are earning way more than they deliver. And blah, blah, blah. So I guess the the default to come back to here, Matt, is I could absolutely put all these things in print that I've heard. Can I tell you that they're all 100% accurate? I couldn't say that about 10% of them because in all but very few instances, this is I've heard, overheard, so-and-so, I've heard what so-and-so is getting. A driver will tell me, and I go, cool, what what have you heard it is? And they'll say, I don't want to say. You know, okay, great. Others can't wait to tell you what they've heard or team owners. And it's a lot of folks talking about things that are rarely rooted in truth. The only driver I've ever had tell me what he earned, not earns present tense, but earned past tense, was our man, our French fry, Sebastian Bourdais. And granted, he and I are open about a lot of things. Um, but like that really impressed me because I guess he trusted me enough to know he could tell me and I wasn't going to go run and tell everyone else. But it's just not something culturally, Matt, where everything is out and up front. But I don't know. Uh, I think not knowing might add a little bit of spice. I think not knowing exactly on everybody um, maybe that's the fun thing to keep pursuing, but maybe, uh, folks like yours truly don't put that in print enough. And I don't know, maybe I'm also afraid all the drivers would stop talking to me if I put what I heard their salaries were into print. So somewhere in there, brother, I hope you have an answer. Uh, Dan Gallagher says there are a group of drivers, Jimmy Johnson, uh, Calderon, uh, DeFrancesco, etc. He also mentioned Kelly. Well, I don't know who Kelly is, uh, on a bit of a learning curve. Who's ahead? Who's behind? What uh, lies ahead for each? Um, getting to this this late in the show, Dan, uh, I'm probably just going to focus on your second question here. He said, how would you rate Tatiana Calderon's performance through a half season? Is it Road America? She appeared to be running better lap times while keeping out of trouble. I think other than all the penalties, all the pit lane speeding penalties and such, which could have been just more of an electronic issue than her own. Um, I think she's doing her best for the situation that she's in. We have seen with Kyle Kirkwood and only Kyle Kirkwood that at what feels like about half the races this year, they have been very competitive delivering the results that make you go wow yeah not really um not quite there yet but i would say i think she is doing everything i expected her to do at this stage of her partial indycar season debut um how's this she has done two fewer races than her teammate Dalton Kellett. Dalton is now two and a half years into being a full-time driver. Tatiana Calderon 
has done a total of six races, and she is nine points behind Dalton in the standings. So done two fewer races this year compared to Dalton, a.k.a. she scored zero points at two races, one of them being the double points Indy 500, and she's only nine points behind Dalton in the standings. Dalton, who I love, hopefully y'all love, I know he's not destined for IndyCar stardom, but if you consider Tatiana is learning effectively every track for the first time that she goes to, learning to drive an IndyCar, um, that third car isn't necessarily blessed with all of the depth that some of the other cars have. And also knowing that, again, barring Kyle's, you know, Kyle has shown a lot of potential, has a 10th place, uh, of course, to show from Long Beach, which was great, but most of the other results have not been great. Um, He's 21st in the standings. Dalton is 27th. Tatiana's 29th. So, again, potential shown in the 14 car, but not necessarily the Foyt organization as a whole this year. It would suggest that everything is stacked against her, but I would say her ability to finish, you know, 16th at Long Beach and what was it, I think, like 15th at the Indy Grand Prix, like those are real results that should be, if she did not have talent or was not cut out for this, 23rd, 25th, 20 something. So. I'm feeling pretty good about where she's at. I'd just love to see a couple of more clean races for her, no dramas. And, you know, I think she's going to be okay. Um, I hope funding returns for her. I'd love to see her be able to go full time and uh, just give her full credit, I think, for doing far better than she should given all of the caveats that i've just mentioned uh nathan our pal indy nathan says what is your assessment of pred autosports road course debut seems like they had a clean race and in the pits they were clean as well but cars farther back in the field don't always get much coverage was it as smooth as it appeared yeah wasn't crazy smooth just say the carpenter team was not extra sharp i mean connor finished 14th renus was 17th uh simona right 21st she wasn't far off she was not far off on a weekend where the team just didn't have a whole lot to offer so with a test coming up for her and then going to mid-Ohio, I think we have a, a rightful expectation for her to do better. Uh, her qualifying last or whatever it was, you know, I don't know if I expected that, but we're really just in a place where knowing that Ed Carpenter Racing is not the most consistent team in the field, the best we can do here, or the best I think we should do from a expectation standpoint is set your sights on Connor, set them on Arenas, 
and where she is running relative to them. Do I think that if they are all three cars really, really strong that she can run with and beat her teammates? Yes, (laughs) she's a badass, of course. Whatever it is, though, that we do see from them at Mid-Ohio and then a little later at Nashville, like I said, uh, if Road America taught me anything, it's let's not place individual expectations on Simona and the Pareto Autosport uh, side of things. All we can do is look at them compared to their teammates. Uh, would also say her race engineer, John Genalozzi, son of Paul, someone with a lot of experience, just not a lot of IndyCar engineering experience. So as she is getting back up to speed, as he is learning more and more, uh, they have a lot of good engineers there. But again, depending on where they're running each weekend, that's how I'm going to judge Simona's uh, capabilities. And as for the team side, Nathan, Beth in particular, it's not a lot I can really offer because she is not able to, she is not forming the team and running the team. There are certainly some team members that are participating through her, some women on the team there, but this is an Ed Carpenter Racing production. So I think there's going to be a lot of notes coming out of Road America, maybe ones that have already been shared on what to do, how to do, where to improve, etc. from Beth, from Ed, from team president Tim Broyles, from just you name it, everybody. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how those improvements uh, maybe get deployed here at Mid-Ohio and what that does for the good old number 16 Chevy's ability to feature uh, farther up the field. Uh, Ryan Terpstra, follow-up here, said uh, Ed Carpenter was on the pit box for Simona on Sunday, said, uh, I have a vested interest in this. Is there more to that comment? Or is that just the deal they have for the year? Uh, don't think I'm speaking out of turn here in saying that uh, Connor's deal with Bitnile is a big deal for the team. Uh, Connor's deal with the Air Force last year slash Space Force. Still crazy to think there was a car sponsored by the Space Force. Uh, those are big deals for the team because through uh, Tony George... Ed's stepfather, there's been pretty decent financial investment. Uh, When you see Sonax on the car, that's from Tony. When you see a number of things, that's assistance with funding uh, compared to big independently sourced sponsors. So Connor's deal with BitNile and the, uh, the other sponsors that he's brought, it's a big deal. I think Ed sees not only the value of Simona just as a really amazing race car driver, but potentially Beth's capabilities to bring sponsors to the team to support this. I think he sees the overall value in that talking about the vested interest. I think he sees that there could be a really good partnership with Beth obviously would have commercial value for him, uh, but also competitive value with Simona I think he sees this as a really big opportunity for Ed Carpenter Racing to strengthen its driver lineup and also to strengthen its commercial lineup. 
in both instances, those are only good things. So I think that's uh, what we're seeing here. Uh, let's see. Patrick Foley. Say, so, will the cars have the ability to self-start with the introduction of ERS? You mentioned F1 cars are capable now, but strangely, it's not mentioned very often. Um, it says, it was cool to see all the cars queued up the end of uh, pit lane during the Baku qualifying with everyone dead stick. Then they self-started like it was no big deal. Um, yes, that was, is, uh, you name it. It's one of the big, big things mentioned by IndyCar. Uh, for wanting to go to uh, the ERS systems, and that was to eliminate the need for external starters. Uh, the desire being to have cars that if they spin, if they whatever, uh, can be started from the cockpit by the drivers and no longer need to call out safety cars and whatnot to take care of the problem. So yes, that is 100% part of the uh, design and the expectation for IndyCar that, yes, when we do go hybrid in 2024, uh, the cars will be able to start themselves, uh, provided they have juice in their super capacitors or scooper capacitors, I think that I called them earlier, and, uh, yeah, wander off and go do their thing. Jameen Tuttle. See, you see, I hope to one day attend Road America in person, but man, it did look good on TV. It was packed. It was so awesome, Jamine. Uh, you got two questions here. I'll take the first one because we already covered off the first. The second is why does it seem Connor Daly always gets freight trained on restarts? We're fans and hate cautions because he usually seems to lose a couple of spots. Great question. I don't know. I plan on calling the young man tomorrow morning for a, a different story, but. We'll try and remember to ask him and uh, see what we can figure out. Ricky Zagata, you are close to bringing us home here. He says, hey, MP, Jimmy Johnson question. What are his IndyCar plans for next year? Well, we wouldn't be breaking that news on the podcast, Ricky. Uh, he hasn't said. I have heard he wants to continue, but I still need to ask the man directly. So maybe I'll get a chance here shortly. Uh, Chuck Bittner. Say, has IndyCar ever considered the virtual safety car concept that's used in Formula One? Say, it seems more efficient than deploying a pace car to lead the field. Uh, what are the challenges or drawbacks I might not be considering? Um, have they ever? Yes. Uh, they've chosen to stick with using a pace car. Why? Well, it's not Formula One. Um, just because a series that isn't IndyCar does something that works for them doesn't necessarily mean it works for IndyCar. So... Yeah, uh, could they? I'm sure they could with the new EM marshalling system, uh, the new light panel-based uh, system. But yeah, for now, using pace cars, that's the thing that they like to do. And uh, I don't know. I'm always a bit hesitant to say, well, hey, they do a thing over here, so why don't you do it over there? And like, oh, okay, well, why doesn't Formula One do everything the IndyCar does it? You know, uh, they're different products. They do things different ways. So, uh, I don't know. I think it's certainly a possibility if people at IndyCar decide they need to stop doing things the way they've done forever and ever. Uh, penultimate question. Oh, it's not a question. It's haiku, courtesy of Jim Kaiser. 
the man who put together our questions here until the awesome Jerry Robert Sudduth took over uh, from him uh, two weeks ago now. Uh, so Jim, with a little bit of time, he sent in some haiku, as he did before he uh, was handling our Q&A. He says, now that I can do this again, here's a haiku. At first, there was Tim. And after Tim, there was Jim. Now, there is Jerry. <sighs> the show just got better because Jim's back with haiku. Uh, we're going to close the show here with our pal Mitsuki Matsura. How are you, Mitsuki-san? Uh, let me see. And I say this is the final question, of course. I might scroll through and see if there are any others I will uh, uh, bring up before we say bye to the show. Uh, also, as a little FYI, we don't have an IndyCar racing next week end. So if there are questions you sent in that I didn't get to, and I make this offer very, very rarely, if there are any questions I didn't get to that you really want me to answer, send them back in. And uh, hopefully Jerry will pick and choose from those and incorporate some of those into the new ones that come in. So, uh, but Mitsuki, let's just have you as the, uh, the last issue, the last issue, the last question here, man, I need to shut up. I do need to get some rest. Uh, I still do. Um, Marshall son, I'd like to know your impressions of Dalton Kellett behind the lens instead of behind the wheel from your time with him on Friday. Uh, I hope you had a fun time there. Yeah. For those who might not have seen, uh, went out doing a little bit of uh, photography with our man, uh, Dalton Kellett. So Dalton reached out, I think maybe December or something like that said, Hey, got some camera gear, trying to do more action photography. Um, would love to pick your brain or whatever else. And I said, well, Hey, let's just go shooting. There's no better way to, uh, pass on some things than to go shoot. And so we did, we went to driver's right, uh, on entry to the carousel for an Indy pro 2000 session and then a little bit, of, I'm sorry, a USF 2000 session, then a little bit of an Indy Pro 2000 session that followed and had a great old time. Uh, one of the campers nearby started playing one of his favorite bands, also one of mine as well. Delightful product of Canada known as the Tragically Hip. So we had a little bit of a smile there. Uh, he, not a surprise, great at taking instruction and applying it quickly. So... Also had my pal, the awesome Chris Owens, uh, IndyCar's lead photographer. Uh, he was there to take some photos of Dalton, as I mentioned to IndyCar that, hey, this might make for a uh, fun little story. I said, I don't want to be in it, but this could be a fun personality-based story of showing that here's one of your drivers who, since we don't have a, a whole lot to do here on Friday, we, we have a very late start, about 3.30, um, one of your drivers wants to go out and further develop uh, his artistic expression with a camera. So that might be a fun thing for you all to photograph and write about. And so uh, Chocolatito, which is my nickname for Chris Owens, uh, was uh, Dalton, myself, and Chocolatito. And it was just fun being out there and trying to share some notes. So, hey, we're panning. That's all we're doing here. We are shooting the right side of these USF 2000 and Indy Pro 2000 cars as they go by. All right, well, here's the stance to take for panning. And related how to me and how I do it, it is the uh, same as I was taught when I played Little League Baseball, of uh, positioning yourself for where you want the ball to go with your feet. Well, 
Same principle for positioning your body and squaring up for where you want to take that photo. Uh, also worked through starting off at a higher shutter speed, Mitsuki, since I know that he rarely gets a, a chance to shoot uh, high-speed race cars in action. So worked through the process that I recommend for everybody who's trying to improve, and that is don't go straight for awesomeness. Don't try and take amazing photos with your very first uh, press of the shutter. Start at a higher shutter speed. The photos will be unimpressive. Things will look relatively frozen, which is a travesty because we're here capturing cars at great amounts of speed. So why would you want them to look frozen in the frame? Well, again, if you're not doing this very often, you'll want to start at 1 250th, who knows, maybe even 1 500th, which is a crazy for a pan. But get into a rhythm. Get the tracking down. If you're wanting the car to be in the center of the frame, pan and shoot, pan and shoot, pan and shoot. Look at your shots in between and get a feel if you're a little fast, a little slow in your pan and get the rhythm. And again, the photos are not going to be interesting, but once you feel like you're into a little groove, start turning that shutter speed down and displaying more speed, a little more blur of the background, etc. And get into that rhythm. And once you've got those repetitions and you're feeling good, great. Well, let's turn it down even more. And the car is not going to be as sharp. There's going to be a little bit of movement that's maybe not perfect, but hey, that's a re true representation of the speed and so he was a quick study and it was uh, really cool to see him react to uh, using a monopod and figuring that out and uh what else i said all right let's cl let's close with doing this let's have you instead of just shooting the car going by normally let's try and incorporate some natural imagery into this and that happened well Yes, it's uh, man-made nature. Um, the fences and the barrier and the grass. And let's not try and put the car in the center of the frame. Let's put it at the very top of the frame and have you kneel down and pan and catch the car, not necessarily totally from the side, but maybe at a little bit of an angle in the frame. But let's have you intentionally aim the camera downward, pre-focus on a spot on track, and do that and so the last couple of photos that he took were of the fencing that was a little bit blurred and showed some grass below instead of the green trees up high and just honestly it's really impressive mitsuki to see him take all these things uh not he really didn't have any follow-up questions there was no uh, what i'm not sure like kids crazy smart so that shouldn't have been a surprise but Normally, when you're learning something newish, you will have a little bit of uh, fuzziness or, or want a little bit of further instruction. And uh, I mean, the guy picked up everything. So <clears throat> that was really cool. Uh, hopefully, we're going to get to do some more of that. And yeah, it's also just a good guy. Um, I don't get a lot of time to spend with a lot of drivers when we're at the track. So uh, he's definitely someone who I've always enjoyed and hope to actually get more time with him just to get to know him a little bit better uh, as a person. So, hey, that's our episode. Uh, I appreciate y'all. And one more time, prudayrocks at gmail.com. If you want to join the Pruday, 
Uh, some of the fine people there will get to you within a couple of days of you sending that email saying, hey, let me in. Uh, also, huge thanks to Cooper Tires and the Justice Brothers and TorontoMotorsports.com for supporting the show for many, many, many years now. All of them to y'all for the questions you send in and just the uh, insane amount of love and support that you offer myself, my wife, Shabrell, and also our cats. So, uh, and Steve Bonek, if you're happening, uh, if you happen to be listening one more time, Steve, thank you again for the beers you brought at Road America. Uh, it truly transformed uh, the weekend into something that was just so far beyond any expectations of awesome. Um, I don't know what more to say. And I should also just add another big thank you to Jeremiah Morell, Sarah Morell, Matt Philpot, uh, Terpstra, and so many of you for uh, some of the really cool beers you've sent me over the last couple of years. So uh, my belly thanks you a ton. And uh, one more time, if I didn't get your questions, you really want them uh, answered, send them in again for next week, send them in fresh, and I will cover off as many as I can. With all that said, our guest is going to be the Marcus Erickson tomorrow, uh, this being Wednesday, uh, when we will record this Wednesday morning. So thanks to y'all who've already sent in questions for that. And uh, enjoy the rest of your week.